get real excited when I see just individuals going out of their way to lend an ear to someone else, to, to show up, to show kindness and compassion. Um, and I just think that is what the world needs more of right now. This is a show where we'll explore what it means to retire with purpose. To make a difference, to invest in your family, your community, to live to your full potential and explore abundant opportunities to live with purpose and community. From Garden Spot Communities in New Holland, Pennsylvania, welcome to Purpose in Retirement. Hello, I'm Scott Miller, the Chief Marketing Officer at Garden Spot Communities. And I'm Juanita Fox, the Storyteller. In this season of Purpose in Retirement, we're talking with experts who are going to share ways that innovation and emerging technologies can improve the quality of our lives and help us to live with purpose and community. In this episode, we're talking with Peter Greer, the CEO of Hope International, based here in Lancaster County. Hope International was started in 1997 when a local church provided 12 loans to entrepreneurs in Ukraine. For a number of years before that, the church had been providing food, clothing, and other relief items to a church in Ukraine to help them as they struggled with hyperinflation following the fall of the Soviet Union. The pastor of the Ukrainian church they were assisting asked them to consider helping in a way that offered dignity rather than dependence. As Ukraine once again finds itself in the center of the world stage and in the middle of a humanitarian crisis, the HOPE International team continues to offer hope and help. So in just a minute, we'll talk with Peter, and he's going to share the impact that HOPE International is making today and offer ways that you can help also. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. For the 22 season of uh, Purpose in Retirement, we're talking with leaders who are offering new and emerging technologies and services that can you know, help us deliver abundant opportunities to live with purpose and community. Um, Peter, can you tell us a little bit about you know Hope International and yourself? Absolutely. So Hope International was founded here in Lancaster County by an individual named Jeff Rutt, and it was founded after the fall of the Soviet Union. So as the um, wall came down, uh, there was a huge economic crisis uh, for the people of Ukraine. And so a church in Lancaster said, we've got to do something. So initially they sent over food and supplies, and they did that for several years, meeting the humanitarian needs that were there and helped churches rebuild. But after doing this for several years, uh, there was an individual named Pastor Petrenko who famously said, uh, your help isn't helping us anymore. And what he recognized is that they were becoming dependent on charity and what was so good at a time of relief was actually not helping them stand on their own two feet using their own God-given gifts and abilities to provide for their families and rebuild their communities. And so that conversation really sparked the founding of Hope International and essentially shifting the model from an aid to an enterprise, shifting it from handouts to a hand up and really equipping entrepreneurs in Ukraine to start or expand small businesses and to have the, the dignity that comes from work. So that started in Ukraine and uh, now we are in 17 countries around wow. the world. We've served 2.3 million families 
And uh, our model is really about investing in the capacity of the entrepreneurs that we serve. So we've been able to invest in a lot of small enterprises that have grown and, and really the joy of walking alongside a wonderful group of hardworking individuals around the world that truly are the center of the story here. They are rebuilding their communities and doing an incredible work, uh, providing for their families through the gift of work. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. What a, what a testimony to the work of, of people right here in Lancaster County. Fantastic. So you talked a little bit about the work that Hope International is doing right now. Um, we're in the middle, Ukraine is in the middle of the, the world stage right now. A lot is happening there. What are some things that you're doing now to help people in Ukraine um, beyond the enterprise piece? Yeah, our hearts are truly breaking with our friends in Ukraine. So we have 47 full-time staff of Hope International. About 70% mm. of our work is in the East and the areas that are either now under Russian control or very close to the fighting and invasions. And so the strategy initially is care for the team, uh, try to help them get to safety. Um, and then the second piece uh, is care for the clients, for those families, the micro entrepreneurs that we have been working with. And then the third piece is help respond to the immediate crisis. So we have a wonderful network of church partners and we have been working with them as they have been uh, caring for the immediate needs for those that have been fleeing war um, and providing support and aid for them. And in many ways, it feels like we're going back to the founding story of Hope International. It feels like we're going back to this time of crisis. But I can tell you, there is a whole lot of, uh, yeah, just just true lament uh, with our brothers and sisters uh, watching what's happening as families are being separated, as as an economy is 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 being there, and there is loss of life uh, by indiscriminate shelling um, in the places that we serve. But I can also tell you that I I know we are going to be there when the rebuilding uh, happens as well, and the minute mm -hmm. that there is peace. We are going to be working alongside a remarkable and heroic group of people um, that are rebuilding their communities and their nations. And that day cannot come fast enough. We're just praying for peace so that that rebuilding work uh, can begin. Yeah. As um, you know, you just sort of described that whole situation, which, you know, is, you know, it's just tragic. Um, I'm wondering, you know, with your experience and, you know, dealing with the people that are there, can can you give us um, some of that more like on the ground sort of challenges that people are faced with, you know, both your staff and uh, and the people that they're working with? Give us a sort of a, a glimpse into to what life is there at the moment. So I think the first the first very real question is, do families flee? Um, do families separate? Do families try to get to safety? So. Imagine you're living in a part of Ukraine, you hear that war is coming, uh, but you have elderly parents um, and you have real questions about whether or not you'd be able to make it to a different part of the country. And even if you're there, how would you provide for them? Mm -hmm. And then do you try to get out of the country? And no males ages 18 to 60 can leave the country. So then the question is, do we separate as a family? Do some try to get out to Poland or to Romania or to Moldova, or do we stay together in a different part of Ukraine? So those are the questions that individuals are facing. Second level question is uh, for the clients that we serve, for the entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of them are involved in agriculture. And for those that are very close to the fighting or now under 
uh, Russian uh, control. The question is, do we plan our fields mm. without any knowledge that we'll be able to benefit from that? Do we do we try to plant uh, or do we not? Um, that's a very real question that they're facing right now. And then all of the consequences of that, if individuals aren't planning, I do think there's going to be a food crisis in the coming months as the agricultural um, time right now. Uh, if you're doing if you're doing uh, open field farming, you, now is the time uh, for you to get those seeds in the ground. And then I think the third, just reality, I was on a call with our team uh, recently and, you know, individuals are working with their children um, in very crowded spaces, wherever you can kind of stay. Mm. And then as I'm on a call with them, with the kids in the background, um, you hear the air raid sirens and they all run to the basement because they believe another missile attack is going to hit their community. So that's the type of questions. Yeah. That's the reality for our friends in Ukraine right now. Yeah, that's it. Um, that just talk about challenging, you know, um, and just dealing with all of that. What what inspires you to keep going on, to keep going forward? I mean, in many ways, I have uh, compared to what our 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 friends in Ukraine are facing. Um, I mean, we we <laughs> let me never complain about the challenges that I'm yeah. facing today in light of their reality today. Um, but uh, what keeps me going is our global team. Uh, when I see individuals that could leave and choose to say, when I see individuals that could find other ways to provide for their family, but they truly believe that there is a call to care for those in need, there is a call to the marginalized, there is there is a faith in action that means they show up in times and places of crisis. That is what I find enormously inspiring. Mm -hmm. That is what yeah. keeps me showing up. And I consider it the great privilege of my life to be part of a global team. And I would say a global church uh, that is responding to incredible needs that are not just faced in Ukraine. Uh, that's not the only crisis in the world right now. Um, yeah. It's on all of our minds, but but to truly be part of a group of individuals that say a backdrop of need has always been an invitation for us to show up and to try and love well in those circumstances. Yeah, that is encouraging, you know, that, that there are people out there that just flock to, uh, to help out. Yeah. How, can people, how can people help? Like, what can I do as an individual to assist in the work that Hope International is doing in Ukraine and around the world? I mean, right now the the needs are uh, are are in many ways, um, the needs are are real. And the first thing is, oh, pray for peace uh, for Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That really is the precursor of so much. Um, and for this invasion to end, um, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and then the second is not just Hope International, but Hope International and a lot of other organizations are responding to the crisis. So I would say as individuals have the ability uh, to support those organizations that are on the front lines, um, especially those that have been in Ukraine and have trusted relationships. Um, and then the third is don't forget about Ukraine uh, when it no longer is on the headlines, the rebuilding mm -hmm. work of yeah. communities that is going to need to, that's going to take years. That's going to take significant yeah. investment. That's going to take long-term uh, rebuilding efforts. Um, so 
yeah, I guess that's really it. It's <laughs> it's it's the pray, respond to the crisis, and then help rebuild. Uh, and certainly partnerships with organizations like Hope International um, and many others that are on the front front lines of responding. You released a book, the the gift of disillusionment, with uh, Chris Horse in April. Um, what was the inspiration for that book? You know, the timing of it was 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 a gift. <laughs> Uh, we started working on this in 2019, late 2019, when we first had conversations, and it was really spurred on by the fact that this work is hard, as we were just yeah. talking about. Yeah. What is happening in Ukraine? It is difficult to see the places and communities that you invest in feel like you're making progress, and then something happens. And it's not just in Ukraine. Watching what has happened in Haiti as there's been this progress, and then it feels like there's another earthquake and another mm. coup and another challenge. And and I really have been fascinated by this idea of what keeps individuals serving for the long term. And while I appreciate individuals that spend four years uh, serving, I have the utmost respect for those that have somehow figured out a way to serve 40. And really, the mm-hmm. book was trying to figure out what is it uh, as as um, has been written, what is it that leads to that long obedience in the same direction? What really leads to that? So we reached out to our friends around the world, reached out to a number of different organizations and said, who are the exemplars? Who are those that have had reason to give up? They have faced discouragement. They have they have felt disillusioned. The idealism that they initially started their service, that is long gone. <laughs> and yet they're still there. They're still loving. They're still serving what keeps them there and so we interviewed uh, individuals from 10 different countries that have really exhibited that long obedience in the same direction and and what we discovered was fascinating that the themes that they shared the way that they kept talking about this some common themes came up again and again and again and so really the book was a research project trying to figure Uh out and tell the stories of individuals that have that long obedience in the same direction and i have to say going through COVID and then going through the last years and then the challenges, this book gave me a different perspective on hope, gave me a different mm. perspective on really what is beneath grit and resilience <laughs> and gave me a whole lot more, uh, just different outlook, different attitude uh, going through the challenges that we've been through. So writing this book has been a gift and I really hope it's encouragement to those that read it as well. So is there one or two stories that really inspired you that you'd be willing to maybe share with us? Absolutely. I mean, the the, the one story that comes to mind um, is uh, actually from my co-author, Chris Horst. Um, and really, um, initially, with all of the challenges uh, that are faced, um, uh, all of the pieces that we were going through, he decided, um, as his kids were disrupted in their schooling, um, it was it was easy to complain. It was easy to find fault. And and yet he decided to do something differently. He realized that he was not the only person that was having their education um, disrupted. So he ended up opening up his backyard and ended up reaching out to the school district and said, who are those kids that really need a place that are that are having some challenges? Maybe their parents are frontline workers and, and need a place. And he opened up a backyard school called Wildside Academy. Um, in that, and, and I just love that of a challenge, but that, that kind of spirit, that, that response, um, of not just refusing to just look at what's wrong and then figure out what can we do, 
um, that that spirit uh, was not just Chris, uh, but but I love how that was exhibited by Reverend Farai in Zimbabwe. Very different context, but very similar approach. Uh, for him, it was as there were challenges in Zimbabwe as the corrupt regime of Robert Mugabe was really crippling the economy. Uh, hyperinflation uh, reached uh, the equivalent of 97% per day. Wow. So essentially every single day, prices are doubling and watching what happens wow. there. But not only that, he was kicked out of his church building because he started standing up and speaking against the corruption. And he talked about how he would show up to church and his uh, congregation members would bring two things. He said, we would bring our Bibles and we would bring wet towels so that when they would throw tear gas in, we would have something to cover mm -hmm. our faces. That was their reality. Wow. And he said, he just kept showing up. And he said, it's amazing what happened. Uh, we realized we were maybe a little too attached to our buildings and not attached enough to each other. <laughs> so the sense uh. of community was incredibly strong. And then he started saying that we started discovering that we were, uh, my sermons all went to the book of Jeremiah and this prophet that was also facing innovation, also facing the world falling apart, also facing so many challenge after challenge. And yet he found a way to be faithful. And and he found that even his sermons uh, were different as he talked about a hope in a future that is independent of circumstance. Uh, it is not yeah. rooted in what we see in what around us, but in what we believe about a God who is active and present, even in pain and difficulty. And so we became fascinated by Reverend Farai and uh, by an ancient book, uh, the, the book of Jeremiah and the modern relevance uh, that we believe it has uh, for us in this age, in this time, yeah. to hold on to hope, uh, even when situations seem really, really dire. Yeah, yeah sometimes I think that we uh, we overlook the wisdom in the, in the scriptures um, simply because of the, the ease of life that we have had. Um, it's very easy to look beyond some of the, the, real, um, the real encouragement that comes out of the scriptures. Well, the, the, the Gift of Disillusionment is, I guess, actually your fourth book with Chris. Um, and the, the other books, do they serve as companions? Um, do they fit together? How do, how do the four of them sort of fit? I think there is a common theme. Um, and part of the theme is that Chris and I write about things that we want to figure out and we are really interested in. So there is certainly <laughs> the interest there. But but I guess the broader theme, I mean, Mission Drift is how organizations can prevent drift. And that really was a book that, that um, uh, seemed to resonate with a lot of different organizations. Um, and And so there's this founding mission and then you look years later, and it seems almost unrecognizable. Mm. So how do organizations prevent drift? And then as part of that, uh, Rooting for Rivals uh, is really a book that, that looks a little bit beyond that of saying, well, when you know what your mission is, how do you enter into that mission with other organizations? And why is there competition between nonprofit or charities or churches? Why are we not known for having each other's back <laughs> and, and exploring creative opportunities to partner together? So I do think clarity of mission allows us to experience the joy of, of relationship mm. and friendship and collaboration. Um, and then I think this idea of the gift of disillusionment, it's if you have your mission, if you're doing it with others, how do you do it for the long haul? How do you <laughs> yeah. stay on that mission and not drift almost personally um, in this? How do you hold on to hope uh, when things get really difficult? And then we also wrote 
uh, Entrepreneurship for Human Flourishing, which is a book really about kind of the core model of what we do and what we believe uh, in terms of global poverty alleviation, economic development emissions. And uh, so, um, yeah, that's kind of starting with who we are um, uh, as an organization, our approach. So yeah, there we go. That's the way that they uh, they, they fit together. <laughs> that was that was a very good explanation. <laughs> so it seems that they do. Um, you know, I was sort of uh, thinking just really quick, and sort of a question that came to the top of my head is that I started off by saying we're talking, you know, about emerging technologies, right? And so you do economic technologies and micro, you know, microeconomic technologies. Could you talk just a, a little bit about that? Because I think sometimes we talk about technologies and we think computers or phones or those types of things. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, the way that you would look at that, the economic technologies that you put in place? Yeah, and kind of at the core model methodology of hope is we believe there's a lot of individuals that have the talent, the gifts, the drive. They have what it takes to provide for their families. And if they were born in Lancaster County, they would be uh, incredible entrepreneurs. <laughs> the reality is they were just born in a very different context. And in many ways, poverty sends this very clear message, you don't have what it takes. Um, mm. and, and, and if we're not careful, um, uh, sometimes even our aid can reinforce that message. Let us come in and do for you what actually you might be very capable of doing for yourself. So really our model is figuring out how do we provide hope? Um, how do we provide, uh, and for us that, that, that very clear, um, we're, we're a Christ-centered organization and really rooting everything that we do in the hope of the gospel. And then also how do we provide capital? Um, how do we invest in those entrepreneurs? So help them save money, help them mobilize capital, uh, provide loans externally and, and over Hope's history, we've lent out uh, over $1.4 billion. Wow. And we've had a 98% repayment rate. So it just keeps coming back and we can lend and we can invest more and more capital uh, into their capacity, into their dreams. But I think as we, as we do that uh, kind of model, uh, the thing that's been so fun to realize is then watching their generosity in their community. So mm -hmm. it's not just they grow enterprises, then we get to watch them um, bring other individuals into their family through foster care or adoption. We get to see them provide water wells for their community. We get to see them send their kids to college for the first time um, and really see that cycle of poverty broken um, as we invest in entrepreneurs. So yeah, capital, uh, community, and the hope of Christ um, is, is what we're seeing uh, make a dramatic impact in the communities where we serve. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Any words of encouragement? Yeah, I guess the, the, the final thought that I would just say is um, whether it is around the world or whether it is on our own community, I just get really, really excited by when, when we see simple acts of compassion and mm. kindness. <laughs> I just get so inspired uh, by that. And and when I think about the work that we do globally, in some ways it can feel like far away, uh, but I love that Hope International, we get to be a bridge uh, between here in Pennsylvania and those individuals that we serve all around the world. I love that. And equally though, I get, I get real excited when I see just individuals going out of their way to lend an ear to someone else, to, to show mm. up, to show kindness and compassion. 
Um, and I just think that is what the world needs more of right now. So I would just say uh, the work of Hope International, unleashing hope uh, in the places and communities of poverty around the world, that same principle and approach, I think it has a whole lot of relevance uh, in terms of seeing where the needs around us and what does it look like to show up with kindness and compassion uh, in the places that we are as well. I know that those small acts are not small in the lives of those that receive them. So more kindness, more compassion, more hope um, uh, as we continue to go uh, um, yeah, about our days and look for those opportunities to show up. This has been a tremendous conversation. So uh, thank you so much for jumping on with us and talking about what's going on. The work that Hope International is doing in Ukraine and around the world is really inspiring. You know, it was. So, and you know, when we see a humanitarian crisis day after day on the news, sometimes we can become, you know, callous to the reality. But hearing some of the challenges people are facing, it, like that made it real for me. It really did. I was so thankful that Peter offered some ways that we can help Ukraine. We summarized those ways in a PDF entitled Five Ways to Help Ukraine. And you can find a link to the PDF in the podcast description. The PDF lists the ways. One, pray for peace. Two, support frontline organizations. Three, don't forget when the fighting's over. Four, help rebuild. And five, support established partnerships. And now before we go, let's not forget our giveaway. If you contact us through our website, gardenspotcommunities.org, and mention the podcast before June 30, 2022, we will enter you into a drawing for a hot air balloon ride for two. Again, contact us through gardenspotcommunities.org, mention the podcast, and we'll enter you into the drawing. Next month, we'll talk with Caitlin Laubach from Everance about online banking and how we can be cyber smart. Thank you for listening to Purpose in Retirement. I'm Scott Miller. And I'm Juanita Fox. Special thanks to Peter Greer for joining us for this podcast. Our senior producer and host is Scott Miller. Our co-host is Juanita Fox, and our producer is Sharon Sparks.